the inside word on Air New Zealand. You began removing information from your website. What's going on? Why Tangi? She does not have the cultural expertise. And vaccines. Kia ora and welcome to One News Inside Parliament. It's a weekly catch-up about the political stories we've been covering here on One News and the happenings around Parliament as well, I guess. I'm Benedict Collins. I'm Mikey Sherman. And I'm Jessica Much Mackay. Hey, we're kicked off this week. We're all back at Parliament. Um, all the politicians were back. It was um, you know, pretty good fun, but I guess... First of all, last week we had Waitangi Mikey, you're up there. Tell us about it. It's been quite the quite the couple of weeks, hasn't it? It's been a big week. Last week at Waitangi we had uh, major goings-on up there and then this week with you and your Air New Zealand story, it's been a cracker of a time. Should mm-hmm. we get should we start with our pits and peaks maybe? Yeah, let's That's, do that. Should I kick it off? Sure. Okay. Um, and actually it does come from Waitangi. My peak, my peak uh, comes from Waitangi and it comes from, and this is inside Parliament, folks, so we're giving you the inside scoop, Shane Jones's annual Waitangi... Uh, party. It's quite uh, uh, infamous. Everybody knows about it. Everyone goes. They go for the crayfish. They go for all of the seafood, all of the political chit-chats. And this year, uh, Jenny Marcroft and uh, Tracy Martin showed up, uh, even though they'd quit the... uh, Freshly quit the party. party Freshly quit the party. Uh, They went to the party, and uh, there too was Winston Peters, Shane Jones, obviously, Fletcher Tabuto, and a few others. And it was just one big happy family reunion. And I'm told. Uh, actually, and I uh, called up with Jenny Marcroft and I said to her, gosh, what was that like? And she basically said, look, me and Tracy, we just wanted to go there and we knew it would be our only opportunity to eyeball the boys. And I said, and what was the reception? And she said, um, look, you know, Winston Peters was standing up there uh, and next to, uh, and wait for it, here it is. Bishop Brian Tamaki delivering the karakia for the kai. Nobody. <laughs> so shocked. it was quite the party. Uh, and uh, when he spotted uh, when he spotted Jenny Marcroft, gave her a big smile and a big wave, and it was Kate Pai AOK. So uh, interesting stuff there. That was the Waitangi Shane Jones. And you party. can't say it's not inside Parliament, do, right? Yeah, that was reckon, some inside gospel, you guys. Yeah, do you reckon Bishop Brian Tamaki likes to party? I reckon he does. They know how to party, yeah. you know, on a Sunday. Sunday sesh, it's a different kind of Sunday sesh, sesh <laughs> but uh, you know they get their hands up in the air, have a, have a waiata. Mm. No, I think they, they would have all had a good time actually. Someone who's perhaps not having as good a time at the moment is Ricardo Menendez March who's in managed isolation at the moment and this week he kind of became the topic of conversation because of questions over how he got back um, why he went back to Mexico and uh in terms of requesting to have special treatment for managed isolation, which ultimately got turned down. So he was perhaps an unlikely focus of the first mm. week of Parliament, but we'll be doing a lot on that this week. So that was my interesting thing of the week this week. Was it week. all legit, you reckon? It's kind of hard because there's, it didn't feel right. And I think sometimes as a journalist, there are some questions. And then when the information started coming in, it felt like it satisfied our questions. But I think the problem was we needed that information to come at the beginning and it took a whole 24 hours for that to come out. So I think that's one thing in politics that you've got, you can't leave a vacuum because people mm. start putting one plus two equals 10. And I think that there were a lot of unanswered questions and I think there were things that we needed to check out. That's our job. We've got to dot the I's and cross the T's and make sure that you know, we're holding MPs to account. So yeah, I, I feel like I'm satisfied with 
what we know at the moment, but if more pops up, we'll keep looking into it. I think it certainly could have turned out a lot worse for the Green Party and for Ricardo in particular. Absolutely understand um, the point around needing to go back for a serious family issue in terms of the, the health of his parents, absolutely. But it's when you start sort of requesting um, special exemptions and managed isolation facilities where, you know, you know, you've got Kiwis just really struggling to get spots there. It's just not a good look. And the fact that the chief executive um, had to call up uh, Chris Hipkins and then kick it over to James Shaw, the fact that those two had to be brought in, you could see it on James Shaw's face when he was being asked about these things on the bridge by media. It didn't sit, you know, it, it was like he was like, God, this could have ended badly for us. Um, and so, you know, they did obviously say to the chief executive, no special treatment whatsoever, but it could have ended a lot differently. The other thing that I was thinking about when we were talking about when he's coming back, so he's gone to Mexico, he's gone into managed isolation, and then he was meant to be back at Parliament this week. And you just think we've had all these stories about uh, tests coming back uh, positive four or five days down the track. He's now decided to do the, that five days of isolation at home and so he'll be back next week. But imagine if he came back and then had a positive test result and imagine the implications for that. So I think even though you know, you don't want to catastrophise things, having someone who's been overseas who is vulnerable bring it back into Parliament with all of the MPs who come in and out of Wellington all the time, that's just <coughs> such a gamble well, as well. And remember last year we... Um you know, Parliament really dodged a bullet because Tracy Martin, um, as a minister, had been over at the White House with people who had COVID and came back but didn't pick it up herself. <clears throat> but I think she'd come back and come straight back and kept mm. working um, for a while until those positive tests over there became uh, were made public, basically. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> yeah. So, but you, you do have to wonder, you know, whether, whether there will be another outbreak before these. Um, you know, before the vaccines get into New Zealand. But I guess my peak in some pretty fresh fresh news that happened this morning is that it looks like our vaccines are going to arrive earlier than thought, or at least that first batch. I, I think they're hoping it might be in next week, depending if, depending on whether they can sort out, um, you know, the, the refrigeration and stuff and, and delivery issues, eh? Because that was one of the things that I asked Chris Hipkins in the press conference the other day, because they said, oh, look, it's going to be, we've got these two fridges going to Christchurch to store the Pfizer vaccine. And... Uh, then they said, oh, it'll take two weeks to set up, right? And so the others are all staying in Auckland. And I said, oh, so is uh, the setup of the freezers, is that going to delay the rollout? Because we're all trying to piece together what time. And he mm. said, no, it wouldn't. So that's when I thought, oh, right, OK, so we've definitely got two weeks um, until those vaccines arrive. Now that that's been fast-tracked and we're hearing the 20th of February will be the start, for, for the rollout, that means they're going to have to really rush and get those freezers all set up, make sure they're tested, make sure they're yeah. all in place because you don't want to have to delay the rollout for essential workers in Christchurch because you haven't got the infrastructure and the freezers and things set up. I just think that's a little taste of the huge logistical implications yeah, yeah. that this is going to be. It's going to be mm. massive. And, a, and another real highlight this week, Trevor Mallard, Parliament they got rid of ties. Yeah, I'm a little bit disappointed that you're not wearing one. We have standards here. And look oh, how smart Mike Oh, thank God. 2021, eh? We, Finally. We disagree <laughs> in this office quite strongly. <laughs> um, no, fantastic move. Get rid of the things. Outdated. Useless. I think absolutely that um, the Heitaki should be... could 
be worn in, instead of a tie. Absolutely. That, to me, just seems like such a no-brainer. But I just don't understand why you don't have a standard of of asking people to wear and wear dress. Well, no, it's supposed to be attire. business attire, and right? Member, and, and, yeah. and, and most business... In most businesses, people don't wear ties, Court? right? But you have to wear a tie. Well, you don't have to. Yeah, you do. You have to wear a tie in court. I feel anyway, like I anyway. need to. Uh... Um, <laughs> but also, I think, you know, they've kind of reached a sensible conclusion. Wear a tie if you want to wear a tie. Don't wear a tie if you don't want to wear a tie. I, th- I think that's good. That's one view. Yeah, that's my view. Anyway, uh, what, uh, about our pit, what about our pits? I've... Oh, mine was ties. So yeah, there we yeah, go. So we passed it up. Anyway, mine was Trevor Mallard because he's had a bit of a tough week, to say the least, um, this week with, uh, first of all, the vote of uh, uh, no confidence from National uh, back at Parliament facing that challenge. And then, of course, the tie uh, fiasco blowing up again for him. He copped a lot of flack this week. Ooh, but luckily for him, still got his job. But you made an interesting point before that it was probably going to be about him and the vote of no confidence and yeah, instead. Yeah, I mean, uh, yeah, I think he, they, Labour ran a real risk this week of it um, being all focused on Trevor Mallard and, um, you know, their continuing support for him despite that, the fake r- rape accusation he made against the worker, then spending hundreds of thousands of dollars, you know, denying it and dragging it through the courts. Tax, you know, taxpayers' money, the public's money, and then 18 months later, you know, just after he's been sworn back in as speaker and as safe you know, which is hugely valuable to him, coming out then and being, you know, oh, yeah, I knew almost immediately it wasn't true. You know, I mean, it's pretty shocking behaviour. I think we were anticipating that week being more mm. about, this week being more about Trevor yeah. Mallard. And so what I, I think it's quite a gift for him that it's ended up being about ties. I think yeah. the gift for him has been Benedict Collins and that your <laughs> In New Zealand story has just was you know, be taken centre stage all over the place. <laughs> so let's talk about that because that, that just blew up this week and boy, oh boy, what, what a, a yarn. Good story. Yeah, so um, to tell you a bit about how it all happened, so... Um, yeah, I became aware, I think, in December, early December, that Air New Zealand was working with the Saudi military. So I approached Air New Zealand and said, can you tell me what you're doing up in Saudi Arabia? And it was getting pretty close to, like, kind of the point where people broke up for Christmas. And they they, they, they came back to me and said, oh, can you tell us why you're interested in this? And I said, oh, well, that depends on the answer. And basically, then they never came back to me, never came back to me. So I went back to them as soon as I got back to work in January and said, why, look, are you going to start answering my questions? Um, and they just ignored me, ignored me. I went back again and they said, no, we're not going to answer your questions. No, um, it's, um, we never talk about our customers, which was patently untrue because they had press releases up on their website. And, and the, the division, this gas turbines division, basically they help fix engines for big military vessels, often on warships um, or, or in the oil and gas um, industry as well. I think they work frequently with ships in, in that industry as well. Um, but but it was clear they already had contracts with the US military, the Australian and the New Zealand New Zealand navies, right? Um, so basically, af- after a while, I approached the government because they were just refusing to answer and said to the government, um, look, are you aware Air New Zealand is working with the Saudi military? Do you have concerns? Are you aware of exactly what they're doing? Um, at which point, the, I think the government realised that this was unacceptable, um, that Air New Zealand was refusing to <coughs> provide any information. Um, so basically, finally, we got a statement last Thursday night um, from Air New Zealand confirming that they've been working um, with the Saudi Navy and fixing engines for them. Um, so on Monday night, we broke the story um, that they've been 
you know, working secretly with the Saudi military. Um, they'd tried to keep the public in the dark and they'd tried to keep um, the government in the dark about what they were doing up there as well. Um, and, and obviously there are huge um, human rights implications here because you've got the war in Yemen, um, which the United Nations says is the world's, you know, worst humanitarian crisis at the moment. Um, you know, you've got, I, I mean, when as part of the story, we like ingest tracks from overseas where like CNN or the BBC has done tracks. There was this track that I watched where the Saudi-led coalition had come in and using, you know, let's be realistic about this, um, you know, some of our closest allies sell them weapons all the time. So they blew up a bus full of school children, right, uh, who are on the way on a field trip somewhere in um, Yemen. So the Saudis blew up this school bus. Um, it, all the kids on the um, uh, bus were blown up. And the Saudi government came out and said it was justified because these were child soldiers or something. But in the footage, basically they got all the local children to dig graves for all the... And there was all this footage of the children digging graves for other children in Yemen. You know, it kind of brings it home to, you know, what is actually going on on the other side of the planet. Um, so anyway, we, we did the story and we'd gone to Amnesty International who were, you know, horrified that Air New Zealand was doing this. Um, and then, man, did things start moving quickly. So for that story, Grant Robertson, who's he, he's a shareholding minister for Air New Zealand, he'd declined to comment saying, look, this is an operational matter. Um, it pretty quickly became apparent that that wasn't good enough. Um, and within a couple of hours, um, Mr. Robertson had issued a statement saying, um, you know, he, he was shocked and, and, and alarmed, I think were his words, um, that Air New Zealand was doing this. It clearly wasn't good enough. So within a couple of hours, Greg Foran, Air New Zealand's chief executive, had phoned the minister to apologise. And then after mucking us around for you know, best part of eight weeks and refusing to answer questions. Um, basically, the next morning, Greg Forum was doing multiple media rounds apologising for this, um, saying there was going to be an investigation. By Tuesday night, they cancelled this contract. So they'd fixed two engines for the Saudi Navy. They were still working on a third, but they had that um, engine in... In, in Auckland in pieces basically they, by Tuesday night they were like no we're sending it back in pieces we're not going to finish the work but the government and, and I think it might have been the Department of the, Department of the Prime Minister and Cabinet saw this story and said and, and I think the Ministry of Foreign Affairs and Trade saw this story and were like what the hell we know nothing about this and so the government pretty much immediately launched an inquiry because they believe what Air New Zealand has been doing is unlawful because you're supposed to, if you're sending stuff to militaries overseas, you have to go and get permits in Air New Zealand. And, and they will not give you a permit if what you're sending could be linked to a humanitarian or a war crime, right? Which clearly these are, you know, the, the Saudi Navy is blockading Yemen, stopping food, stopping medicine, getting through to people. You know, they reckon 5 million people in Yemen are one footstep away from starvation, Right, because of this, and the, and the blockade isn't helping. Right, so there's no way they would have got permission for this. So Air New Zealand is now being investigated by MFAT. Um, they've started their own investigation um, as well, which you'd have to have question marks over. Um, but yeah, it's it's not looking good for them. And basically, I'm not sure exactly how it'll work, but they could be up for hundreds upon hundreds of thousands of dollars in fines, um, depending on how they figured out the, the calculations. But in New Zealand still cannot tell us. I mean, you know, two months after we first started asking questions, they will not tell us which other foreign militaries this gas turbines um, unit is working for, apart from the ones they'd already publicly identified. So, yeah, pretty 
pretty disturbing. I think what was really interesting is watching that select committee yesterday, which in New Zealand just happened to be fronting up to the select committee on on Thursday here at Parliament, and uh, naturally it, it came up, and also there were questions from the other MPs on the select committee as well. And I just think that not having those answers and not being able to say which other militaries they were working for, that would have been a really good opportunity to be able to do that. And also just having front-footing it with Air New Zealand when, and coming to you and saying, look, we'll sit down, we'll do an interview with you, we'll put up our apology on the Monday. You know, it just it seems like it was handled really badly on multiple levels. Well, well, it sure was. It's like a... I mean, this should be a case study and not how to deal with the media inquiry. Um, it, it's just bizarre that no one in their communications team was smart enough to go, oh, we're working with the Saudi military. Maybe this is something the boss needs to know about. You know, that, that it never made his its way to the top um, when you've got, you know, political journalists asking questions about what work you're doing for the Saudi military. I mean, that's incredible. But then what is also incredible is that in New Zealand, when, they, when the government told them they had to answer our questions and Greg Foran, their chief executive, found out the first thing they did was went onto the gas turbines website, took it down for maintenance, and removed all the evidence about their other customers around the world. You know, this is Greg Foran who's come out and said they're being open and transparent, and there's no secrecy in what they're doing. I mean, the first thing they did was try to hide information about their other military customers and other customers around the world. I mean, that, that's pretty disturbing. There's got to be a big question mark now over whether, you know, their their internal inquiry is going to be anything, you know, is not going to be just a complete corporate whitewash, right? If, if their instinct is to immediately start hiding stuff. Yeah, I just think just a really good, interesting story and some important journalism. So hopefully you guys enjoy getting a bit of an inside word yeah. can on I, all of that. Can I, uh, so it's a very serious story, but I'll share one little kind of thing that made me chuckle this week. So I had an inquiry for the Minister of Foreign Affairs and Trade and I sent that through at the midday. And at 2pm, Minister of Foreign Affairs and Trade came back and said, hey, hey, look, you've asked the wrong organisation, you need to ask Customs. So at 3pm, I emailed Customs, right, and said, hey, MFAT sent me your way. At 8.30pm, Customs responded to me and said, the Ministry of Foreign Affairs and Trade is the lead agency, therefore it would be entirely inappropriate for us to comment. We refer you to MFAT for further comment. <laughs> and our, so we'd had like eight and a half hours of MFAT and customs trying to throw the throw the ball back to each <laughs> and other. And the poor but, customs person. Yeah, the poor customs person who, yeah, ended up, I'm not sure on their shifts, but, you know, working late into the night trying to fob off a question that MFAT had thrown their way. But the really funny thing was MFAT had actually come back at 6 p.m. and answered my, oh, might have been a bit earlier, MFAT had actually come back earlier and answered my original question and not told customs. Oh, God. Yeah. I hope they got paid overtime for that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. A day off in lieu. Yeah. yeah. Well, talking of days off in lieu for working public holidays... <laughs> Kind of a segue? Not, no, okay. Not because <laughs> Mikey was <laughs> to Waitangi Day. Um, Mikey headed up to um, lead our coverage for that. Mm. And it was a really big series of political stories. It was so interesting. Yeah, it was. It was awesome. I love going to Waitangi because, um, you know, it's, it's just 
so much happens up there and it's got so much character and history and beauty and politics. Um, so, look, kicking off day one, essentially, uh, was the return of the first political party back to the Lower Marae, back to Titi after years of sort of, um, you know, growing tensions down there. Uh, we saw the jostling of John Key at, at the Waharoa, at the entranceway. Um, there have been other instances too around media not being able to film there and that. So, you know, things got hot there for, for a while and then they decided, OK, let's uh, move um, proceedings up to the Upper Marae where, um, at, on the treaty grounds and that's where they're held now. Um, so for the Labour Māori caucus to head back to Titi was significant um, and basically about mending relationships and uh, I think it went well for them both sides. Um, you know, I spoke to the Hokainga there, the local people from the Marae, and they said that the break was good for them, that they were able to sort of sort themselves out and, and sort of take a breather. Because I think, you know, with Waitangi, if you've seen past coverage there, you know, the, the media lens is intense and, um, you know, you know, tensions are high on both, you know, the home side and the the side of the po- politicians. And, you know, you see things like jostling at the gate and, and all of that sort of thing. So it was an intense period. And so they had a good break. And then um, now to have politicians return there, I think, you know, is a good sort of uh, nod back to sort of some sense of normality, perhaps. And it's important for that marae because that is the sort of ahika, if you like. It's separate. It's different to the upper marae. The upper marae is kind of more like the, a ceremonial marae, you, you don't have, for example, tangihanga there. So, you know, it's 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 more like the sort of um, ceremonial marae as opposed to the sort of Work real marae. sort of workings yeah. of the marae on the ground with the local hapu and people and, and all of that sort of thing. So... It is important to acknowledge the sort of local marae. Uh, we were able to get our mics inside um, to capture some of the audio, and that was really interesting. It was awesome being able to get some te reo Māori in our stories that week, um, which featured actually quite significantly for us, and we used subtitles, and I think that went down well with the audience. Um, it's not an easy thing to do, really, to kind of get, get te reo Māori, you know, um, up into six o'clock tracks like that, but you know we've got huge support from our newsroom to sort of do that, and um, and the capabilities there from our editors uh, to put the subtitles down and all of that sort of thing. So it's cool. Um, and then later in the week we had uh, the main yes. parliamentary porphyry, and that's where it all really kicked off. I guess Judith Collins um, disappointed that she wasn't able to have a chance to speak on the maho like Jacinda Ardern. I thought Shane Letty did really well to raise that concern in his Whaikōrero. It's lovely. Lovely to hear him speak in Te Reo Māori, um, and he did that well. And it was immediately acknowledged by the home side, Te Waihoroi Shortland, um, who's you know a rangatira up there, and he doesn't mince words, and he doesn't back down easily to anyone. Um, and and you know I thought for him to just straight away uh, respond to that, saying, "Yep, we'll fix it. You're right." And actually, you guys probably, you women probably have better things to say than the men. <laughs> you know, it was really sort of a beautiful moment. Um, and then in the stand-up afterwards, Judith Collins, you know, she came out saying, yes, it was important for all women to be able to have their right to, to have a kōrero on the marae. And then she crossed into an area which got into the 
the grey area, I would say, um, where she, you know, uh, labelled the tikanga of um, men being the um, um, majority speakers on the marae, she labelled it as sexist. And so I think that's where we got into a bit of, bit of politics there, a bit of uh, debate there that week. And uh, yes. Yeah, you seem to thrive upon, Mikey. <laughs> <laughs> but, you, but you made some really good points about that. And I think it was useful having... Mm. your stories and tracks up there explaining the context and explaining how it works because I think for people who don't visit Marae often you wouldn't they may not understand why the um, why the leader of the opposition couldn't speak and you were able to give the context about saying how important it is to protect women and that women are the uh, the treasures and they need do you know what I mean like I think it was yeah but I think politicians though you've been to enough porphyry to recognise that it's men who speak on the marae and so if you've ever wondered about that maybe you need to go and find some explanation as to why that is but if you just don't do that and don't find the explanation instead you just come up with your own theories that it's sexist then that's going to land you into trouble. You know, you you, you can't um, go around judging things you know nothing about. And I think that's what we saw there. And I think it was it was a misstep because they had been so gracious to her, to Wai Horoi, in his response to Shane Letty immediately saying, yes, we apologise, we'll rectify it. I think the best course of action for Judith Collins would have been to say, thank you very much. I look forward to speaking next year. I was disappointed that I couldn't speak today, um, but I'm glad it's sorted. And take it as a win. And just take it as a win and just chalk it up there, you know. Um, but she didn't, and she just doubled down even days later on criticising tikanga, like I say, that she knew nothing about. So, you know, it's political missteps like that. And with National wanting to stand in the Māori seats, they really need to be more strategic and tactful in their way in which in the way in which they approach Kopapa Māori. Otherwise they are gonna run into trouble like and they did last week. That middle voter because they've got the the base we saw at the election is firmed up, you know, they've got that twenty five now they've got to start attracting people who are sitting in the middle and not your traditional national voter and that's what they've got to work on a bit I just I'm conscious of the time so I'll just be swift with this but the stories that I've been focusing on over the last couple of weeks have been to do with these vaccines mm. why is New Zealand so far down the queue not at the front of the queue as the uh, COVID recovery minister insisted so many times um, and, and this growing pressure over the last few weeks has now meant that today we've seen um, a fast track I guess um, for getting those vaccines going I think there were some big questions about out. Yep, we're absolutely in New Zealand. We are doing way better than lots of other people. But our frontline workers are exposed, yeah. and we needed to we need to get them protected. And why was it taking so long for New Zealand to do that? So I think we've managed to um, speed that up and get that process going. Good and look. I think yeah, and I just think once you get that done, that gives us that extra barrier, and then you can relax a little more because the general members of the public don't have that same level of exposure. So. I think that's a big, important step today that we've seen. It has been the first week back here. Uh, it's been nice having the politicians back, I have to say. Um, I don't know about you guys, but not feeling that match fit for sitting weeks. they sort of got a rhythm and a pace, and Tuesday was so busy because it was um, caucus run and, and post-cabinet press conference, and it was just... Question it was time. question time, and Benedict had a big story, and we had the RMA stuff, and that was massive. We haven't even talked about that. What a massive story, and we, we might have to save it for Ball's next week. Balls rolling, baby. That's all you need to know. <laughs> it's happening. Summed up. So, yeah, it's been great having them back in this place, and um, it's nice being back into our podcast 
rhythm again. So maybe we maybe we wrap it up and leave it there. Yeah. So just um, before we go, I just want to say like. Um, you know, Especially in TV, it's you know always a big sort of team effort involved in stories. And I'm bringing um, just want to say thanks to young journalists over in the Wellington office, um, Abby Wakefield, who's given me quite a lot of help this week um, on the um, Saudi Navy story as well. So cheers, Abby. She helps us out lots of uh, lots of the time. So it's nice that she gets a little shout out with this. Yeah, kind yeah, of story as, as, especially on the um, IT side of things in terms of what Air New Zealand had done around removing stuff off the. Um, Website, very helpful indeed. So cheers. Can I chuck a shout out to yeah. uh, Zion Dale as well for helping me up at Waitangi last week. He is one of our newest reporters for One News Tonight and uh, he was awesome. Cool. Awesome. <laughs> okay, so that was I'll One News. I'll have to give a shout out for next week too. Parliament, our weekly catch up about the political stories we've been covering on One News. We're on Instagram, Twitter and Facebook and it's available most weeks on One News Online and you can check us out on your favourite podcasting app as well. See you guys. 